Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the latest edition of the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Darren Lewis of The Daily Mirror, and Anne-Marie Batson, the journalist and broadcaster. We've spoken often about Manchester City mirroring modern football. They have global ambitions and a global business model. They've got a lot of money, so we can expect them to flaunt it. They're elitist and insatiable. But they're no longer Premier League champions. That increases the pressure to excel on all fronts starting with Friday and the Champions League. One of the few things they can't afford is to lose out to Real Madrid. Do you agree, Darren? I do agree. Uh, the <laughs> Pep Guardiola is brought to the club, Mike, on the basis that he is a man who knows how to win the Champions League. Uh, the problem is that when he did, he had the greatest player, arguably, in world football in Messi. And now he's got to prove that he can do it with a club that aspires to be the best but has not quite got over the line. They're very similar in many respects to PSG, all the money, but still no idea to, uh, about how to lift the greatest prize in European club football. And I would imagine when City look at Liverpool and the way that they managed to lift a sixth and then go and lift the Premier League. And they, they may say to themselves, look, this is exactly what we brought Guardiola to the club for, not only to retain our position as a dominant force in English football, but also to make ourselves the kings of Europe. They've got a great chance this time around because, you know, their form is good. They've only lost four of the last 18 matches and they've won all of the other 14. And they are actually playing with some fantastic abandon. Sterling is really stepping up to the plate. Sergio Aguero doesn't play in the game on Friday night, and that's obviously going to be significant given his defensive acumen, but also his leadership ability as well. But for me, the big problem is Sergio Aguero because he is a super striker. He is the guy for the big occasion. And Gabriel Jesus, to be frank, isn't the same player. He's not close to being the same player. We know historically that Aguero is a guy who goes all the way to the final second of the last minute and yet can produce something. Jesus isn't that same kind of goal scorer. And so without key men like him, you do wonder, given that Real Madrid have won 10 of their last 11 and they're going to come into the match in superb form and Sidan is incredible. He's hunting a fourth Champions League title. There is a lot of pressure on Guardiola. There is pressure on Zidane as well, remarkably, given that he's won uh, a couple of Champions Leagues already for Real Madrid. But certainly, given that everything now 
is staked in terms of their season on this, there is huge pressure on Guardiola. It's interesting you mentioned uh, Zidane there, Darren. Amory, isn't it strange that someone who's won so much as a player and a manager is almost underappreciated? You know, he's coming to Manchester uh, having won La Liga again. Um, but as Darren says, he's under pressure. Is that just the nature of that club? Or is it the nature of his personality sometimes? I think it's actually a bit of both. He is somebody, Zidane, who knows how to get the best out of players. He gets players to buy into what he wants to do. And as Darren mentions, he's won pretty much everything that you can think of. And, and he's guided Real Madrid to the top of La Liga. But perhaps the team don't play with the flair and the magic of old that once captivated the football world. And he's seen as a very pragmatic man his pragmatic style and I, I do agree with that I do miss watching that flair and magic that Real Madrid used to bring to their games and I think also the politics around the club as well and we all know that you know Spaniards actually love their football and there's been a lot of toing and froing between the supporters and and the club as well and as well as the manager I, I think you're right Michael I don't think Zidane gets the the love and praise that he deserves but I think that's due to maybe the team performances haven't been what they were five ten years ago yeah but to that political point there you've got Sergio Ramos suspended but he's going to be at the Etihad so he's traveling but Gareth Bale doesn't uh Darren do you feel that's probably game, set and match now for Gareth Bale at Real Madrid. And should he, for the sake of his career, move on and move out? It's a really good question because instinctively the answer is yes to both those. The problem is that you've written many books uh, on, on the curiosities, if you like, of football and, and, and the fact that each case is, is very individual. And I look at Gareth Bale and I just wonder if he's lost his desire, his, his love his joy for football, his motivation. Uh, because you look at what he's won at Real Madrid, two Spanish titles and four Champions League, and there are no more worlds to conquer for him. Um, he's 31 years of age, his kids are in school in Spain, his wife is happy, he's living a life of opulence and happiness. He earns, what, 600 grand a week. Where else is he going to... What 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 more is there for him to do? He has achieved what most players would give their eye teeth for, you know, just one Champions League, guys, let alone four. And I just wonder if he were to go somewhere else. I mean, listen, it may well be that his agent is saying, no, this is a game of brinkmanship and we're going to wait it out. And, you know, and in some respects, he would be right in so much as Real Madrid are victims of something a lot of clubs put themselves in. They sign players on big wages and then when they want to cast them aside, the players are exercising their right to say, no, hang on a minute. I didn't put you a gun to your head to make me sign this contract. You've, you've given me this contract. Ozil is doing it. You know, you go all the way back to Winston Bohada and he, he, he did, you know, lots of players. Sanchez did it at Manchester United until the deal was right for him to move to Inter Milan, which he's now done. So from that respect financially you can see what's going on but I'm just thinking about Bale the player it would be the easiest thing for me to say he should move on and play football but who's that serving me you know really it's about what's best for him and if at 31 he's decided I've done what I set out to do when I aspired to become a footballer I've played for my idol I've played for the greatest club in world football I've played along some of the biggest players in world football I don't really want to be, um, 
going to a, a club in the Premier League that aren't quite doing it and have all the pressure on my shoulders to deliver. And when I don't, everyone wonders what's happened to me as a player and starts pontificating on where it's all gone wrong for me. I'm happy. And and I, I just wonder if that is part of his thought process rather than I need to take a pay cut to go elsewhere. Yeah, well, it's a remorseless business, isn't it, football at that level? And you're judged instantly and usually harshly. You know, you think of um, Eden Hazard, who's been judged a disappointment after his first season in Real Madrid. At City, uh, Anne-Marie, I get the sense that they are on the cusp of, you know, another strategic push. What about the nature of the promised business that they're going to come up with in the next month or so? Uh, they're talking about they've, they've got Ferran Torres in, um, paid £41 million pounds for Nathan Ake. They're still talking about four more players. Do you expect City to push harder in the transfer market? And also, can you reflect on the pressure that the new players will be under simply because they will be expected, let's be honest, to overwhelm Liverpool. I fully expect Man City to push hard, very much so, even harder than what they've ever done before. I think, do I say the words giving up? That's not necessarily true, but I think Liverpool winning the title has hit City pretty hard and that's not something that they want to repeat again for the new season. So yes, I fully expect them to push even more harder at 200%, 300% than they ever have done before. I do wonder about Guardiola though, in terms of those last few weeks as we've come back out of the the games have started again in the Premier League. I was looking at him sometimes on the touchline and he didn't seem as energetic or as as riled up as he normally is at the touchline. I do wonder if he needs a little bit of a break before they go for that big push again because it's going to be very, very intense. The Champions League is is everything to Man City. Winning the Premier League title again is everything to, to Man City. Having that dominance over the North West is everything to Man City. So, yes, I fully expect that. But in terms of the new players coming in, I mean, we all know that City have had to need to build their rebuild their defence. They've been quite over-reliant on Laporte and that's that's bitten them in a bad way. So I think there's also a question mark over Benjamin Mendy in the left-back position as well. Is John Stones on his way out? I think I was a bit too, in two minds about Nathan Ake. I, I've kind of come round to the idea and I can see why City have bought him. He's composed in possession. He gives great, short, precise passes, but it's the aerial duels you know, during a, um, a set piece, which I think he's going to be slightly struggling with, especially with City's high line, because most teams, they tend to sit deep, don't they? when this tactic is deployed and does he have that commanding present like Virgil van Dijk or even Laporte so I think defensively there's going to be a lot of eyes on that we now know obviously the um, in terms of Aguero he's been desperately missed but then you've got Kevin De Bruyne who can help you as well Phil Foden I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can bring to the table now that David Silva has moved on I think I don't want to call it a period of transition for Man City I think it's just small tweaks here and there but I fully expect them to get one or two more players in before the transfer window closes but I suspect they'll get it done early rather than leaving it to the last minute. Yeah, yeah. we talked about Gareth Bale in, in almost in terms of an era at Real Madrid, and that era was shared with Cristiano Ronaldo, wasn't it, Darren? Juventus play on the same night as Manchester City. They need to erase a, a one-goal deficit against Lyon. It does prompt the thought, uh, and it's also probably applicable to Lionel Messi, you know, 
he was pretty pessimistic about Barcelona uh, improving on their 1-1 scoreline against Napoli. Are we approaching their last hurrah? Ronaldo's older than Messi, if I'm not. I think Ronaldo's 35, 36. And I think as far as Ronaldo is concerned, listen, his desire has gone nowhere. He gave the big interview on TV last year when he said, Look, I want to leave a legacy as being the greatest goal scorer in uh, club football. Um, and his hunger and his desire, you watch him play, you see the records he's still breaking, you see the way he looks after himself, you realise that we are still looking, despite his age, at an elite player. I'm almost contradicting myself when I say yes, because I think that he is the person who will determine whether he is reaching the end. And at the moment, when you look at that desire, he doesn't appear to be near it, despite younger players aspiring to kind of do the things that he's done. Because the thing about Ronaldo, guys, it isn't just that his technical ability and uh, the way he looks after himself, but it's the way that he pushes himself week in, week out, the desire, the hunger, the pressure that he puts on the people around him to meet his standards. You look at Juventus as a football club, you can see why there is pressure on Sarri at the moment. The word in Italy is that they are looking for replacements for him. They've only won two of their last nine matches in all competitions and the form has petered out even though they are, uh, I think they've already won the league there, but the form is not good going up against the Lyon side that took PSG to penalties last weekend in the French League Cup final. And I can see why they would want to replace Sarri and keep a Ronaldo who is still burning with desire rather than risk losing Ronaldo and keep faith with Sarri, who appears to have gone off the ball at Juventus. This tie will be very instructive in terms of what direction that they go in. But all of the signs at the moment look to be that they will want to continue indulging Ronaldo and that Sarri might get thrown overboard. Yeah, ruthless place, isn't it, uh, Italian football at the highest level? Um, what about uh, Chelsea, Amory? Um, I think it's probably safe to assume, isn't it? They've got a pretty hopeless task uh, against Bayern. You know, if you look at it, it was interesting listening to Wayne Rooney saying that you know his idea of the champions are Manchester City or Atletico Madrid. Now, Bayern are my idea of champions. Um, what about you? I agree with you, actually, Mike. I was a bit surprised by Wayne Rooney's thinking around that, but that's his that's his opinion. I think you can't can't you cannot count Bayern Munich out of the Champions League, and and you are absolutely right that Chelsea are facing a real uphill battle. I think losing Christian Pulisic to injury in the FA Cup final probably is, has done that for them. And I think it's, you know, it's... I'm excited to see what this Champions League is going to bring because of its condensed format, because of the way it's going to be operating over the next few days. I think it's really, really hard to call out an out-and-out winner because we haven't had that chance to you know watch those matches and take time to digest them over a few days before you know the following week and then it all starts up again these are going to be going one after the other one after the other so I think you know Chelsea I'm sorry to say I don't think they're going to be progressing forward I think Bayern Munich will I think City will as well but yeah I don't, I don't think Chelsea are going to progress any further. No, when you think about what they're up against, um, I, to be honest, shudder to think what Robert Lewandowski could do. He's got 51 goals already this season for the club and I think there's another six for Poland. Uh, Darren, is he the best striker 
even now at his age in Europe? And does it sort of, you know, football's about what ifs, isn't it? And is he one that got away from the Premier League? Yeah, very much so. Um, although, to be fair, when he left Dortmund on a free transfer, um, there was only ever one place he was going to go because there is only ever one place that the top German players tend to end up uh, once their contracts run out uh, over there. I, I, and it, in answer to your, your question, it's interesting because Messi and Ronaldo are the best goal scorers in world football. But I would, and, and Suarez, I, I would say, is up there as well. Uh, he's still scored 16 goals uh, in the league in what has been for him an underwhelming season. But certainly Lewandowski is is right up there. And I, I'm so worried about what he may do to an extremely depleted Chelsea because they've got lots of injuries. They've got suspensions as well. They will be massively depleted. And I, I think there's, I'm so worried that this game might have to be put on after the watershed. I was, <laughs> you know, I, I, I was at um, Spurs 2, Bayern Munich 7. And there are rare nights for us football reporters where you are watching a, a match and you are aware that the story is not the result of this match. The story is the ramifications of this match and that in the hours afterwards, you could be writing for a lot longer than you had intended. And on that night, the battering was so complete, so devastating for Spurs that I really did believe that Pochettino would lose his job that night. As it was, it was the beginning of the end because eventually he did lose his job. But Bayern Munich on their day with the pace from the wings, the creativity from midfield and that cutting edge up front that Lewandowski provides are just awesome. It's weird in a way because it's beautiful to watch, but so ruthless in its efficiency and the clinical way that they put opponents to the sword. And... I think Chelsea will try to come and make a game of it. But I think if they try to do that, they will be taken apart. And I think the only option might well be for Chelsea is to stay compact, stay defensive and, and just try to come out of the tie with some respectability. But it doesn't bode well for them at all. No, I fear you're right. The Europa League uh, quarterfinals begin on uh, Monday night, Anne-Marie. Uh, let's look at Manchester United. Uh, they play uh, Copenhagen. Uh, is this the time for the first team to turn up? And what do you think was the enduring lesson of that formality of, of Wednesday's qualification against Linz? The fact that the backup squad doesn't cut the mustard? It's a, it's a really good question. Actually, really two good questions there, Mike. I think... Yes, in terms of the, the first team do need to, to turn up. I think they've got to keep their minds very much focused. I know that, you know, United have, have qualified for Europe again for next season, but they've got to put that to the back of their minds. They've still got a job to do here. They want to go deep in this competition. So, yes, I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer needs to put his best 11 forward for that match. I think they certainly learned that the, the second squad is not good enough. And that's something that... Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to have to look at going forward because of the, the demand of matches that are going to be coming up over the next few weeks and months for the rest of the year. But again, it surprises me about Manchester United. You always think with Manchester United, they're going to have a good first 11 and they're going to have a good second string B team, if you like. That is what Manchester United is renowned for. And for some reason over the last few years, that hasn't 
come to fruition? Is that down to poor recruitment? Is that down to players who had high expectations on their shoulders, not being able to deal with the pressure being at Manchester United? I've got a slight question mark over that one. But I think, yeah, they need to they need to sort out the second team for sure and work out which players are going to go where and who's going to be able to deliver when that first team goes forward. And if a, if a player from the second team can step up into that, that first team, that can only help Manchester United going forward. It's a really good point, actually, Mike, just to add to what, what you're saying, Anne-Marie, because I think there is this circus, for want of a better word, and I'm sure you may get to this anyway, but there is this circus around Jadon Sancho but I think that United need more strength in depth. They need more players. If you look at Liverpool as an example, Liverpool scouting, as ever, is excellent. And they are looking at Jamal Lewis at Norwich. Now, this is clever, sensible recruitment. They are looking at replicating the success that they had with Andy Robertson when they took him from Hull after they, they were relegated and they were patient with him and they've turned him into one of the best fullbacks in the Premier League. Manchester United used to be a byword for that kind of patience and, and, and skilled recruitment where they plucked players, brought them to into, into the squad and got the best out of them. And now I'm looking at what they're doing now and and it's all glitz and glamour and it's you know there was that futile chase for Gareth Bale a couple of years ago I'm not saying that Sancho isn't going to be a wonderful player but you know all this concern about the impending financial crisis appears to have gone out the window they're moaning about Sancho oh we're not going to be held to ransom xyz and you and I both know that they always end up paying the money anyway but... Yeah, well, isn't that isn't that the point, Darren? And, and it's something I was going to get to that. There's been a ridiculously unsubtle briefing process going on at Manchester United, which ultimately will probably be counterproductive. They're talking tough now, as you just mentioned there. In the past, that hasn't worked, has it? So why is there this obsession to promote the myth of Ed Woodward as John Wayne? What's going on there? <laughs> I always remember when Edward would try to negotiate for Pedro when he was at Barcelona and I had this image of Ed turning up into a smoke-filled room with lots of suited men around a table and Ed turning up with his Bermuda shorts and uh, <laughs> uh, a, a straw boater uh, and a glass of sangria believing that he could do a deal for a player that he failed to get in the end and he ended up going down to Chelsea. I, I think as far as Manchester United are concerned, they are trying to create this perception of themselves uh, around Europe as a club that will not be held to ransom when in the last, certainly since Sir Alex left the club, they have been a club that has been held to ransom time and again and have ended up paying over the odds for a succession of players, not all of whom have been a success at the club. And I just think, you know, you look at Harry Maguire and they even tried to hold Leicester to ransom and ended up paying exactly what Leicester wanted for Harry Maguire. That will be the case in this situation again because they need Jadon Sancho they're desperate to get Jadon Sancho. They fought tooth and nail to get themselves ahead and they elbowed Chelsea out of the way to get Jadon Sancho. And Dortmund invariably tend to end up getting what they want when they sell their players. They've got a fantastic recruitment model, transfer strategy. And um, this is going to be as good a deal for them. They've already got his replacement in as it will be for United, because commercially this will be a, a, you know, a, a big move for them. Young player fits their their profile of the kind of player that they want to get. 
But just to go back to where I started, I just think I, I agree with, with Anne-Marie, with you, Anne-Marie. I think it's greater strength in depth, not just a quality, not just a blue chip players, but they need a number of players. Because I was at, I've been to a couple of games now when their so-called second string I've played and I've been very underwhelmed by them. Not enough goals, defensively too weak, not enough creativity or defensive strength in midfield. And that there is a big job to be done if their return to the Champions League, the top four, isn't going to be brief. Yeah, well, you know, in terms of depth, they've got Chris Smalling back when he when he might have been playing in the Europa League for Roma, who incidentally have just been bought by an American billionaire. <laughs> that sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> um, um, is, do you think there's been a rethink of his usefulness uh, at centre-half, Amory? And what do you think about the whole principle of prioritising flair, by that I mean Sancho and Grealish specifically, uh, perhaps at the uh, uh, you know, at the sacrifice of some defensive stability. Why can't you have the two together? That's what we always think that perplexes me. I just meant, talked about Real Madrid. I'm missing that flair. I'm missing that magic. But I also know that they can play really strong as a defensive unit as well. I always, I'm a big believer in balance. Why, why can you not have the two? Why does it have to be one or and all the other for that respect? So I think Manchester United they can get that balance if they pick the right players within that midfield. And as for Chris Smalling, I think from what I've read and what I've seen, he's had a, a really good time at, at Roma. And from what I read of his, of what he put out on social media, he was very thankful for the opportunity and the experience that he's had. I think he has demonstrated when he's been over there to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer that he's got his head down and he's got on with the job and he's helped Roma within the league and in and competitions as well. And I think... My own personal opinion, I would have thought Smalling would want to stay at Roma given he's had such an impressive campaign. But Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is lacking options at the moment, particularly at centre-back. And maybe he's been the victim of his own success in a way. He's done so well at Roma that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer realises that he needs him back. However, if Manchester United can't get the targets that they want at the right price, if they are going to have to potentially pay over the odds for certain players that they want, there could be the opportunity for Chris Smalling to stay at Roma. I think there's going to be a lot of toing and froing before this one is resolved. What about Sanchez, Darren? Um, you know, by common consent, a very expensive mistake. I still can't get over them paying him 390000 a week. But is it good that they've swallowed the loss? But on a broader level, uh, and you know, something you alluded to earlier earlier on, are Italian clubs running rings around English clubs in the transfer market? Yes, in a word, because uh, what what they are doing, and, and it's very similar with the German clubs as well. German clubs are basically realising that there is good young talent in this country, English talent being unappreciated, and they're moving in to snap them up quickly. And as you can see with Dortmund, selling them big, uh, having enjoyed a number of good years you know you look at Reese Nelson at Hoffenheim as another example and and young English talents are realizing that you can go to Italy to Germany to France you know you look at there is a young lad Jonathan Panzo has gone to France who is really finding his feet over there and in Italian football they are seeing you look at Ashley Young who's gone over to Italian football and managed to get a new lease of life 
that there are there is value to be had because there are players on big wages who are sitting at clubs. Bear in mind with Sanchez that Manchester United are paying a sizable proportion of his wages. So they are playing him they are paying him to play for Inter Milan. It's a terrific deal if you're into Milan. <laughs> Thank you very much. Have you got any more like him? You know, and, and I think that if you are an Italian club, you will be looking now at some of the big clubs where big players are not getting a game. Roma obviously believed that they would get a fit Pedro. Obviously, he's dislocated his shoulder and we, we, we wish him well the other day. Uh, in, in the FA Cup final, we wish him well, but... You know, had that not happened, you know, they would be welcoming him to their squad ahead of the new season. So it's really interesting the way that just as German clubs are scouring the top division to basically cherry pick bargains, Italian clubs are doing the same. And Sanchez has been a good player for Inter Milan. And now that they're through to the next round of the Europa League, you know, I'm sure he'll continue to prove his effectiveness for them. It's a good win over Getafe. A little bit lucky uh, because Getafe missed a penalty late on that would have really set the cat amongst the pigeons. But uh, Christian Eriksen coming good for them. And again, another player having come from the Premier League, gone over to Italian football. Lukaku's already there. Italian clubs are doing well out of the English clubs in terms of being able to reinforce their squads. Yeah, let's have a quick look, if we could, Amory, at um, the opposition facing United in, in the quarterfinals, Copenhagen. Uh, managed by the former uh, Wolves manager, uh, Stolas Solbakken. Uh, they beat Celtic earlier in the competition. Uh, watching them last night, there were a few sort of familiar names. Um, Brian Oviedo of Everton, um, or former Everton, the interesting one that I, I frankly, forgotten about, Guillermo uh, Valera, who was the first David Moyes signing at Manchester United. I think he had four games in four years. Is it the sort of opposition that United should take care of in this competition? And do you see United as a credible favourites for the title itself? I don't think you should take any team for granted in whatever competition that you play. So I think that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will be very strong on that when they do meet Copenhagen. They can pull a surprise out of the bag. If Manchester United decide not to turn up, then Copenhagen could walk away with a win. I highly doubt that. But they're still going to be on their toes, pardon the pun. But in terms of Copenhagen <laughs> it, it, itself, and um, no, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me at all. It really doesn't surprise me as, as a team and... Again, I'm excited to see where this Europa League's going to go because I, I cannot um, I can't choose right now who I think my winner's going to be. I think Manchester United are probably the favourites. They could probably be the top ones out of everybody taking part in the competition. But like I said, they've got to be on point. They've got to be ready. They have to be strong in defence, but also pushing forward at the same time as well. And also the question mark, who is going to go in goal? I think that's going to be a really big question in this competition for Manchester United because there are big, big question marks, I'm sorry to say, over David De Gea. But at this crucial stage of the competition, can Ole Gunnar Solskjaer take that risk and drop him for the game? Don't you think it would be worth sticking De Gea in for a lower profile game like this where the quality I mean listen Copenhagen finished a distance behind in second place behind Midtjylland in their domestic league 
Um, maybe they might be just the opponents to enable De Gea to get his confidence back if you stick him in there. That works on two levels to me. It works on a human level that it's an expression of confidence in a, in a player who's obviously vulnerable at the moment. But also, there's a business element to that. And if, and probably you know, relatively large if at the moment, Dean Henderson almost wins his battle to say, right, OK, I'm coming back, but I'm coming back as number one. You're going to have to find someone to buy De Gea or you know, in a Sanchez type of situation to fund some of his, you know, very big wages. So it does make sense in all levels, doesn't it, Anne-Marie? I think it, I think it does. I just think it's a bit of a shame that we're having to think in that way for David De Gea in the first place, that this is a game that he could be put in goal for to help him build up his confidence. That was a sentence I thought I'd never have to utter with David De Gea because I, I and I still believe he's a top, 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 quality goalkeeper but something something has gone wrong so yeah Darren's right this would be a game to help rebuild his confidence but he's still one step away from making a big mistake regardless of who he faces in the opposition so I, I hope that when he does go in goal he's able to to do the job that he needs to do and help Manchester United get this one over the line yeah I suppose this is in keeping with the theme that we've been talking about for the last 20 minutes or so the idea of football as a business. Uh, now, let's look at Arsenal. Um, before last evening's news about the redundancies at the club, it was a simple question of the progress report on the rebuild. Uh, you know, is, is Villian going to be valued for three years? But now you've got 55 people losing their job. Uh, the players, it seems, are upset because they took a wage cut uh, in anticipation of it saving those type of jobs. And is it just obscene to talk in terms of paying Willian £100,000 a week for three years or Aubameyang a quarter of a million pounds a week for however long his contract, his new contract would last? Is it obscene to talk in those terms when so many people at the club are going to lose their job? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely, yes. Um... <laughs> We are in a period of time where lots of different industries, companies uh, have had to lose staff and there are people looking into the future and being very concerned about what they can see or what they can't see, uh, to be more specific. Arsenal is a football club. Uh, you know, they, they paint themselves as being a club for the community and they've got schemes that they're launching, which you can now see through as schemes that make the club look good. Because when you look at other clubs making commitments to protect the futures of their staff, and then you see Arsenal basically acquiring talent. And, and let's not kid ourselves about Villian. He's 32 this weekend. He wanted an extended contract at Chelsea that he couldn't get precisely because Chelsea don't want to be in a situation where they're paying somebody of his age a huge amount of money at the age of 35 or 36. Arsenal are making a commitment to do that when they've got Mesut Ozil on a huge amount of money doing nothing. And yet they are getting rid of 55 
members of their staff. They've just won the FA Cup. They've made money from doing that. They've qualified for Europe. They'll make money from doing that. They've got a multi-billionaire owner as well. I'm sorry, but it's indefensible. And when you look at the idea that they will still continue to be a club for the community, when actually the truth is they're all just they're all about making themselves look good and you know this isn't about who the names of the the the, the people getting rid you know being culled might be this is about the families who are now going to be in a difficult situation while individual players are going to be making money off the back of the club. I know people might turn around and say, well, hang on a minute, the money's ring-fenced and, you know, come on, it's just all PR guff. The fact is that as a football club, they have the money to be able to, to protect these people who work so hard behind the scenes, work that we won't ever see, you know, to keep that club going. And these are the people who are going to be thrown overboard. Yeah, it's, and I, I know the club's dear to your heart, Amory, mm. but... Um, I like, there was a, a very good um, tweet by John Cross, Darren's colleague, uh, this morning, which really, I thought, summed it up. Uh, he said, The story isn't the renowned scout or someone you've heard of losing their job. It's 55 people from a family club with 590 employees. That's 10% of staff losing their job while the club spends money on new contracts and new players. That can never feel right. Do you agree with that, Amara? Yeah, I 100% agree with, with John Cross on, on that front. And from my point of view, as somebody who used to work in public relations, I the dismay when I read the statement yesterday is the timing of it. The timing of it is all wrong. While the fans are you know, still probably feeling a little bit of a buzz after the results at the weekend. And then the stories about Willian driving up, um, gathering pace on Monday and Tuesday, and then this announcement coming late yesterday afternoon. It just, oh, it was just all wrong in terms of the timing of it and, and what's been said as well. And I, and I think John's absolutely right. You have to think of it as, as it's this balance between you know, the club wants to see itself. It presents itself very much that it's a family club, that it's full of tradition, that it's Arsenal values, that it supports its local community. And the Arsenal Foundation has done immense work, immense work during this horrific time with the coronavirus pandemic. And I feel that's all just gone now because the announcement made yesterday. And I do wonder what they were thinking when the top brass if you like we're at the sitting at the table thinking well let's release this information i hope somebody was in the room going do you think this is the right time to make this announcement do you think about our reputation when you make this announcement because of all the good work that it has done and it has done immense work over the last few months or so it's all going to be washed away because of the toing and froing about Willian, but also about the loss of redundancies. I've been through redundancy myself. It's an incredibly stressful time. You're sitting around waiting to find out if you're going to have to reapply for your job and all these kinds of things. And as well as dealing with a global pandemic at the same time, it's, I can't imagine what it's like for those 55 waiting to find out whether or not they have jobs to come back to when the season restarts. Yeah, I, I just get the sense there's more to come with this story in terms of, you know, it reminds me a bit of, of the Liverpool strategic mistake in furloughing staff, uh, you know, against the traditions of the football club. 
you know, the fact that the players, it seems, are unhappy with events, I think also could be significant. Um, just want to look at, um, you know, I mentioned Liverpool briefly there, about the nature or the dynamics of the transfer market. Um, are Liverpool, who seem to be relatively cautious, they're talking about, you know, Jamal Lewis as a backup left back, perhaps, uh, and perhaps Spurs more unsurprisingly, uh, Hoberg coming in for 15 million, Carl Walker-Peters out for 12. Are they going to be more typical, do you think, Darren, of the sort of deals that are going to go on? Uh, I think they are. Um, I look at Liverpool and their recruitment, bar obviously the stellar signings like Alisson and like Van Dijk, has been relatively modest. The right winger, Shakiri, who had had that clause, I think it was around about 12, 13 million pounds in his contract. That seemed to be a no-brainer and they were able to pick him off. Uh, Andy Robertson only cost eight million pounds. Jamal Lewis would cost around about 10 million pounds. I think uh, Norwich's eyes are widening and they see the opportunity maybe to chance their arm a bit, but I don't think they're going to get too much more than the figure that's being mooted, given that the player would obviously jump at the chance to join the European and Premier League champions. And so I think that deal might well be done. And I think they're both examples of the sensible business that needs to be done, given that we were all told during the pandemic, which is ongoing, that we were hurtling towards a financial crisis. I look at Hoiberg, and if I'm honest, I'm quite underwhelmed by Hoiberg as a signing, you know, I don't really know what he does. He hasn't really, and I've seen him play many, many times. He hasn't really struck me as being an outstanding performer. But it might well be that Mourinho sees him as being able to do a job defensively in midfield. The, the fact is that while I think Everton were willing to pay around about 25 in excess of £25 million pounds for him, Spurs are playing considerably less um, with the rest of it structured um, on what he actually ends up doing for the club. And to me, that seems like good business. And I think Spurs will continue to think a little bit outside the box at cheaper targets because what Liverpool have proven is that, for the most part, at least, you can put together a side capable of doing big things at the top of the league without breaking the bank. Um, clearly, you have to do that if you want to get stellar quality which have done in goal and in defence. But elsewhere, you can, if you think outside the box, bring that quality in. There are still talented performers outside of the top division and inside the top division as well. And I think we might see more examples of clubs doing that kind of business this summer. OK, um, one of the most immediate challenges will be for Fulham, uh, Amory. You know, Scott Parker is very aware that they must not repeat recruitment mistakes that they made last time around. I suppose the point is, will he be given the time by notoriously impatient owners? When you think of it, they've had three managers in each of the last uh, or the two previous seasons they've spent in the Premier League. And is recruitment going to be still key? Because it looks like Fulham and West Brom, to a degree as well, have too many almost nearly players, excellent in the Championship, but perhaps not quite good enough for the Premier League. It strikes me that Scott Parker is really aware they cannot repeat the mistakes of, of yesteryear because it cost them dearly. And I do think that he will be given time for to to look at the squad and, and see what needs to be improved or which players to keep. 
I think looking back on last year or the year before, you know, lessons have been learned from that. I think Fulham will want to stay in the Premier League for a good few seasons as well. And I think there'll be key things that they'll need to look at. They need to keep hold of Harrison Reed. They need to keep hold of Michael Hector. And I think they need to make Radek their goalkeeper as their number one. But I also think that they could do the little bit of help in attack as well with, you know, to help out Mitrovic and Kenny. So there's, you know, two or three issues I think that Fulham need to address over the next four to five weeks before the season restarts. But one thing I will say, Scott Parker has earned the right to be given time by the owners. The job he delivered when he found out that he got the job and then walked into that door as the manager of Football Club, he had some wounds to heal that ran very, very deep. Team spirit, there was hardly any team spirit whatsoever. There were some real divisions going on in the in the changing room and he somehow managed, maybe at the cost, as he talked about in that interview that you retweeted, Darren, he talked about time, you know, family time and things like that. It's cost him yes. a little bit from a personal point of view. So... In mm. Owners, if you're listening for Fulham, give Scott Parker the time because he has earned it 100%. <laughs> Do you know, I must say, I've, I, I've heard on the grapevine that although the noises coming out are exactly as you suggest, um, Anne-Marie, in terms of they're not going to make the same mistakes again, my understanding is that um, they, they are going to invest because I think we've seen with Norwich that you can aspire to being that club that sticks to its principles and quote-unquote, plays football the right way, which is always really a, a phrase that I hate because there is only one way to play football and that's that to try and win. You can obviously be more attractive than than other teams or you can just basically get the job done and be fairly direct. Norwich were neither because they were just the, the Premier League whipping boys and they were down probably before most people had unwrapped their Easter eggs. And so I think as far as Fulham are concerned... What they don't want to be doing is making that kind of mistake. So I think they do need more quality at centre-half. They do need more pace at centre-half in particular. They do need more um, defensive, as you were saying, Anne-Marie, quality in midfield as well. And they need a goal scorer because Cabano signed a new deal. Mitrovic looks as though his shorts are slightly too big. Um, and I think that they need somebody up there who is going to be getting them at least sort of 15 goals a season if they're going to have a chance of staying in the Premier League. Otherwise, it's all going to be academic and um, they could find themselves back down there for a third time in, what, the last five or six years. Yeah, but I suppose they've got a they've got a problem that someone like Brentford would love to be able to solve because it looks like they're going to have to lose several of their top players um, in the in the coming weeks and months. I'm just trying to pull everything together now. Um, we have a feature thought for the day, which essentially is anything, any subject that you'd like to raise, um, you know, personal, maybe a broader issue. Um, Anne-Marie, um, what would you like to uh, pontificate upon? <laughs> um my thought of the day actually is about football and social activism. We saw this week Manchester United and England star Marcus Rashford on the cover of British Vogue, which is an activism themed issue. And it's my two loves in life are f sport and fashion. So to see Marcus Rashford on the cover of the September issue, which is the biggest issue for those who don't know, um, in terms of the, the fashion Bible that is Vogue. September is always the biggest issue of the year. 
And I love the fact that he was on the front cover. How often do you see a black man grace the cover of a fashion Bible, but also a footballer as well? And the fact that he's been recognised for his fantastic work and they called it his, the, I think the theme is 40 Faces of Hope for his work feeding the vulnerable children. And he's posing alongside a, a model called Adoa Aboa, who's a supermodel turned mental health activist. I'm loving the fact that footballers out there and other sports people as well are being unapologetic, supporting social issues within this country and worldwide as well. And they're using their platforms and their voices, not just to talk about change, but taking action as well. You could throw Harry Kane in that as well for his what he's done with Leighton Orient and the football shirts and, and sponsoring them and getting the NHS, NHS involved and other organisations. I love the fact that that footballers are, are now starting to be creative and using different ways to support their activism and getting other people involved. So I was really happy to see somebody like him, like Marcus Rashford, taking a positive stand on societal issues, it's particularly at a time where people keep saying to me when I have these discussions, well, politics shouldn't be involved in football. Politics shouldn't be involved in sport. You know what? If you're somebody with high profile like Marcus Rashford and you want to use your platform and your voice, I've got greater appreciation for you, not just what you do on the pitch, but also what you do off the pitch as well. Yeah, well said, well said. You know, it, it, it's actually almost on a similar theme there, Darren. I was, I was really... It was quite a thought-provoking piece that you did on black referees, and you know why are there so few black referees out mm. there? And it did suggest to me that we're still in the in the realms of tokenism. Um, that apart, um, what would you like to get off your chest? Well, um, <laughs> it was going to be black black referees, but at the same time, um, I just think the subject that we've been discussing today really. I, I just wanted to broaden it a bit because I I just would urge clubs not to abuse the goodwill of the people who were were a captive audience during the lockdown when they talked about the concerns about this financial meltdown and everybody understood and everybody bought into this idea that football needed to change, football needed to have a look at itself. And I, I just hope during this transfer window we don't see all of that thrown back in the faces of the people who have a financial investment in the game, the fans. The fans are the lifeblood of this game. And I think Arsenal, the Arsenal situation, is a snapshot of sometimes the disdain with which fans are sometimes treated. And there is a lot of anger uh, because it's Arsenal today, it's Port Vale tomorrow. And quite clearly, I'm picking clubs as examples. Um, but, you know, it, it's a club in the championship the day after that. It could be any club in the top four divisions. And I think that if after everything that had been said during the lockdown, we end up in a situation where clubs continue to think of themselves first and the people that keep them going second, we will end up with the bond between clubs and the communities that they claim to support and be a part of and to be an intrinsic part of uh, being broken. And it might be hard to repair that. And so I, I think this is a very, very sobering time. 
and a reminder that even though the games may have come back and we're all going to sit and we're all going to enjoy our Champions League or whatever else, there are people facing an uncertain future. And we have to keep the pressure on clubs to make sure that that's not the case and to make sure that they uphold their moral obligations and their financial obligations as well to supporting the people that are keeping them going through these difficult times. Absolutely, absolutely. I make no apologies for returning to the subject of inequality in football. That takes many forms, social, racial, financial. Now, we began today by talking about the game at the highest level, but let's end it by focusing on more humble clubs who are struggling to survive. Coming so soon after the FA succumbed to pressure to scrap lucrative FA Cup replays, the halving of prize money in the competition comes as a huge blow to those who can least afford it. Too many patronise those in the lower tiers, especially in the non-league game, yet they represent football as it once was and maybe how it should be in the future. Let's take as an example Lewis. They're already pioneers in equal pay for their men and women's teams. Their plan to redistribute prize money in the FA Cup is fully costed. It's designed to benefit clubs in the lower leagues, non-league and women's football. Now, in essence, it asks Premier League clubs to forego all prize money from the quarterfinals onwards. That's a small sacrifice that will be hugely significant as a symbol of solidarity. The Premier League will be helping the FA fulfil its duty of care. And that has to be a good thing, doesn't it? Agree or disagree, I'd love to hear from you. But first, thanks again for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. 
Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.